Hello and welcome to the Mirror Football Podcast, brought to you in association with Ladbrokes. I'm Aaron Flanagan, back in the hot seat once again, and we're joined by Mirror Football writers Thomas Bristow. How are you doing, Tom? Yeah, very well, are you? Uh, we're joined by Alex, Alex Richards. Hi, Aaron. And we're joined from Ladbrokes by Alex Aparty. How are you doing, Alex? I'm good, thank you for having me back. Good stuff. Um, it's been a pretty eventful week in the Premier League, uh, kind of since we were last here. Uh, Manchester City are no longer invincible. Uh, Alexis Sanchez seems to be going to Manchester United rather than Manchester City now. Henrik Mkhitaryan maybe back in the other direction. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is now linked to the Premier League. It's been an absolutely bonkers week. We're going to start with Arsenal because they seem to be centred around everything uh, that has gone on. Um, We'll start with Sanchez. Um, Bit of a saga and everything. Um, Are Arsenal right to be letting Sanchez go now? Are are they actually getting a good deal uh, with kind of... Thirty million pounds they're going to get for a play out of out of contract. Well, when you look at it simply, and they could have got sixty million in August on the last day of the deadline. Um, in that term, backing out of that move when they couldn't get Thomas Lamar and now taking considerably less, you'd say no, it's not a good move in that respect. Um, particularly when Sanchez in the opening half of the season hasn't really been the Sanchez we've become accustomed to during his time there. Um, but quite frankly for a player that is 29 who turns 30 at the end of this year who wants a contract around £300,000 a week um, and who would be walking away for nothing in the summer I think any money that you get for him now especially if you can get Henrik Mkhitaryan um, and some money I think you have to see that as a win from Arsenal's perspective yeah, Absolutely, well I was going to go on to that and say the, the links with uh, Malcolm from France obviously Mkhitaryan potentially back in the other direction um, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang Tom, if Arsenal were to lose Sanchez and obviously they're going to lose Theo Walcott to Everton as well um, bringing in those three players is it a good window? Have, have Arsenal actually strengthened um, with those changes? I think I think yeah, they, they would I think Mkhitaryan's a fantastic player um, I know he's dropped off a little bit this season with Manchester United started in fantastic form but he's the player that you know helped lead them to Europa League glory at the end of last season, and I think for him to play under Arsene Wenger, he's exactly the type of Wenger player, um, and I think that'd be a great signing. Obama Yang again, uh, I think he's 21 goals and 23 appearances this season. He's he's again one of Europe's biggest and brightest strikers at the moment, and I think again that would be a huge signing, a huge statement from from Arsenal. Um, Malcolm, obviously, he's a, he's more of a sort of like a a development, isn't he? I think uh, a very young, twenty-year-old. Um, <clears throat> he's a sort of signing that you know could potentially end up loaning out if he if he doesn't do you know sort of well to begin with. But um, if he was to get all three of those and lose Walcott, who hasn't really played a lot this season, and Sanchez, as Alex said, has um, you know not been quite at the level he has the past couple of seasons. Yes, I think it would be a very good win definitely. Yeah, um, Alex, do you, do you kind of see Aubameyang as kind of what Arsenal needs? Are they? I mean, Lacazette's come in to score goals and he hasn't scored goals. It's, it's been like 10 hours or so, I think, since he's last goal. Is, is Aubameyang an, an exciting addition for Arsenal? I think, provided Sanchez leaves, then Aubameyang is the blockbuster name that, that Arsenal fans would surely want and be excited about coming in, certainly in this window. I think it's it would be a good transfer window in a in a bad season. I think Obama Yank maybe at the start of the summer, at the start of the season instead of um, Lacazette might might have been a bit better. It, it kind of feels a little bit rushed at the moment. That's that's my only concern as an Arsenal fan is is that this Obama Yank deal has kind of come out of 
out of nowhere. Um, suggest we kind of panic in. It would be nice to see Aubameyang and, and Mikasarian, obviously linked at, at Dortmund, but um, I think Wenger I think, took a risk at the start of the season, and I think fans were expecting Sanchez to be gone within a year, and the, for him not leaving in the summer, I think we were expecting a top four finish, and obviously... It looks less likely than ever at the moment, which suggests, as I say, a, a very bad bad season. I think if Arsenal fans can, can put this season to one side, then the arrivals potentially of Aubameyang, Mkhitaryan and Malcolm would would make it a relatively good season. Yeah. Uh, Alex, uh, Aubameyang in Germany has... I mean, was he suspended by Dortmund for disciplinary issues? Yeah. Is, 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 that, is that what happened? They suspended him at the weekend for... The Wolfsburg game, first game back after their mid midwinter break. Um, apparently, he decided not to turn up to a team meeting. He gave an, he gave the excuse that basically he'd forgotten. Peter Sturger didn't take it very well. He said all the players had received the messages on WhatsApp. It was clear. He just dropped him. Um, said if you're not focused, you're not going to play. I'll play someone who is. Um, they drew the game nil nil. They could have done with him up front, but that wasn't really the point. Um, Michael Zork, the general manager, turned round and said that basically he'd reached the end of his tether with Obama Young, um, that he didn't know who he was anymore. Um, Hans Vatska has constantly um, defended Obama Young. There's been three issues of this nature before, where he's been suspended by the club internally for a game. Each time before, he's come out and defended Obama Young. This time, silence deafening from him not said not said anything mentioned it a bit the following day saying that you know nothing was really resolved with regards the future um, it seems like they've washed their hands of it it seems like they've had enough of the, the superstar acting like a superstar does that not become a concern for Arsenal then uh, kind of these disciplinary issues um, that you know have kind of become apparent over the past couple of years I think it does I think it's interesting what Alex says about them panic buying here um, Ian Wright said exactly the same thing um, says that they both Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang feel like um, panic buying from Arsenal Aubameyang's an interesting one in that 12 months ago he made crystal clear his dream to join Real Madrid in the summer um, the fact is Real Madrid weren't interested and then the fact was that no other, none of Europe's other big guns were interested he said he needed to move to a bigger club to move up a level no one came in for him. Even though the likes of Man United were buying Romelu Lukaku, Chelsea were buying Alvaro Morata, um, and Atletico Madrid went and got Diego Costa back. Um, and of course, Arsenal bought Alexander Lacazette. So it feels like he's kind of in his last chance saloon of getting his big move. And it seems like Arsene Wenger's in his last chance saloon going for him. Um, the thing I will say is I, they don't feel like Arsene Wenger signings um, they're being pushed, obviously, by Sven Mislintat, who scouted both the players personally, taking them both to Borussia Dortmund. Um, and it feels like kind of a changing of the guard at Arsenal with regards to their transfer policy now. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Alex, uh, those uh, kind of the three transfers surrounding uh, Arsenal, uh, the Sanchez, Mkhitaryan and uh, Aubameyang, I'm not expecting them to be, but is there any betting value uh, with Ladbrokes on, on any of those moves? Well, at the moment, uh, Aubameyang is your least likely to happen of those three Aubameyang is 1-3 to three to join Arsenal still not a great lot of value there that's a price he shares with Malcolm as well he's also 1-3 to, three to, to join Arsenal Mkhitaryan at the moment is 1-7 is to seven. 
to join, while Sanchez is 2-9 to nine to sign for Man United. If you want to bet on the straight swap of Sanchez and Mkhitaryan to swap clubs during this transfer window, it's 1-4. to four. Could I ban Mkhitaryan to stay? You could if you... It's not a market that we offer at the moment, this early in the transfer window, but the... The closer we get to the last day market, (laughs) yeah. The closer we get to deadline day, we'll start taking a lot more requests on players to stay. Can I just ask, with the future of Alexis Sanchez, why hasn't a club like Real Madrid come in for him? Because they're in desperate need of goals. You know, Ronaldo's not firing this season. Benzema's not looking at the races at all. Bale's in and out of injury. Sanchez would. It'd be a, a hell of a signing for Real Madrid, wouldn't it? It, it, it? I mean, from my perspective, would he just be stepping on Cristiano Ronaldo's toes? And is a Real Madrid very wary not to do that to their obviously? I think that's. Asset? I think that's part of the issue. Um, I think you've got to look at the things of the entire package and how much it's going to cost. Um, and it all Real Madrid. The points there are going that they are after a new number nine um, to replace Karim Benzema this summer so I think I think as Aaron says Sanchez really signing him would be more stepping on Ronaldo's toes than anything else I think also it doesn't it doesn't feel like a, a Real Madrid move either as we say this time next year Sanchez will be 30 there's an argument that his best years have already been and gone that's not really the Real Madrid way to, to go and yeah. bring someone in he's also a player that's played a hell of a lot of football in recent years, you know, he's he's not had a summer off for however long. You yeah, know, the, the, World World Cups, Copa Americas. This, this summer will be his first summer mm-hmm. off in about four, maybe five years. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, no, interesting on Sanchez. Uh, back back to Arsenal. What what do Arsenal need to do to become titles contenders again? Because at the moment they're so far off, kind of even the top four. I think they're about five points away from the top four. It's potentially a, a gap which is going to get bigger. Um, what do Arsenal need to change to? become title contenders again a top class centre half top class centre midfielder better defensive coaching more organisation on set pieces you name it well so you say top class this top class that how much money do they have to spend the same as Manchester United and Manchester City to get to where they are that's, that's it, the argument it's showing in the league at the moment the amount of money spent versus positions in the, in the table and I think Arsenal always get a lot of credit for balancing the books and always being very smart with their money but it's not paying at the moment that's not what fans want and you look at the amount of, of money that's been spent in Manchester and, and even Chelsea and Liverpool and it, it, it shows everything's been about a big six in recent seasons hasn't it you're getting to a period now given how things have been going at Arsenal that it's looking more and more like we're going to move into a big five and Arsenal are going to be vying with the likes of Everton and Leicester yeah. I mean fans at the start of the season would not have expected Halfway through January, Arsenal to be seven hundred and fifty to one to win the Premier League. Yeah. They're they're shorter. They're five hundred to one to go down. They're shorter to be relegated than they are to win the league. Yeah, no, it's, hey, Alex, you're an Arsenal fan. Um, do you get excited for transfer winners? I know a lot of fans, especially like Man United fans, knowing that they spend Man City fans, even Chelsea fans, they probably get a little excited around the transfer window, thinking, "Oh, new additions we can change." Did as an Arsenal fan, do you get a buzz about the transfer window, or is it more a case of, "Oh my God, we could lose players"? I think in the summer, more so, more so everyone, everyone at every club gets excited about the summer transfer window. January. Kind of history says it's not really a massive transfer window in terms of blockbuster names. This this year probably being an exception with some of the names that are going to be moving elsewhere. Am I excited at the moment? No. At, at the moment, I think we clear some of some of the deadwood, the Walcott and and Cockerland. I mean, whoever, by the way, 
managed to sort a deal for £20 million for Theo Walker to go to Everton. It's what I'm reading is, is crazy business. Um, hopefully that money's spent wisely. As, as we say, I think Arsenal have made one sign in this, this window. Uh, Greek young centre-half. It's not the kind of name that people... Ma- Mavropanos. I finally <laughs> learned his name. I didn't know it on last week's podcast. Yeah, so Mavropanos. I was, so I would say in the, in the summer, yes. Uh, at the moment, I think keeping hold of Urza would be very good. Uh, I think it looks likely to happen. Uh, he's turned a corner over the last six weeks or so, but kind of accepting that Sanchez is going. It may, it may be a bit of excitement to see what we do, how we replace him, because he definitely, definitely needs replacing yeah, uh, Tom, you mentioned Mkhitaryan earlier. Said he's kind of not had a great season. Um, is Mkhitaryan someone who can offer, on like an, kind of, a, a, at least a short-term fix maybe for Arsenal? I think what will, what will do him well is he'll be playing every single game back to back, and I think that, that that's exactly what he needs. Um, there's no doubt about it. He's, a, he's an amazing player. He's, he's technically great. A very very good dribbler. Um, his vision and awareness is is unbelievable. Um, Obviously, he's getting on a little bit as well, age-wise. But I think for the next three, well, these days, yeah. Uh, but you know, three or four seasons at Arsenal, I don't know if that's called a short fix. I think that's probably okay. Um, and I think Arsenal would do very well out of that out of that signing. I also think just a quick one there that could really help Lacazette as well. If you if you put Lacazette up top and just off him, Ozil and Mkhitaryan to assist kings you you would say certainly Mkhitaryan when he's when he's on his game he's right up there I think I think that could really help Lacazette yeah. I think the question with Mkhitaryan is, is not so much about his technical ability but about his personality um, which you can say about a lot of Arsenal players in that respect he's going to fit right in there he, he, he simply hasn't matched what Jose Mourinho wanted or what Jose Mourinho has expected yeah. while he's been at United no, that's fair enough. Uh, you can follow all the latest transfer news on Across Mirror Football. Uh, all our transfer coverage sponsored uh, by Ladbrokes. Uh, this month, though, it might not just be players on the move. There'll be a few managers potentially in and out as well. Uh, Marco Silva uh, is in charge of Watford, uh, but for how much longer? We don't know. I spoke a bit earlier on today to Daily Mirror reporter Mike Walters, who has watched a lot of Watford this season, to try and explain just what has quite gone wrong for Marco Silva. I want to talk about Watford. Um, kind of, it's been a massive change in fortunes for Watford from the start of the season to now. Uh, Marco Silva came with a, a, a great reputation. Uh, obviously, he kept uh, Hull up last season. He seemed to revolutionise Watford at the start of the season, but it all seems to have kind of gone a bit, a bit stale. Uh, can you put your finger on kind of what's gone wrong for for Marco at, uh, at Watford? Um, well, the, the, the popular perception is that um, the one-word answer to your question is Everton. At the end of October, beginning of November, Everton sacked Ronald Koeman, came calling for Marco Silva at Watford, whose two-year contract uh, does not include uh, an escape clause. Uh, Watford refused Everton permission uh, to speak to Silva, thought that would be the end of the matter. But um, Silva's representatives evidently gave Everton the impression that Silva would like to talk to Everton. And so they kept coming back um, at least twice, possibly even three more occasions, um, where Watford stood their ground each time saying no, permission refused, to the extent that Watford had to issue a cease and desist letter from their solicitors legally forbidding Everton from making any further approaches to a contracted employee 
who had no escape clause. Um, uh, but since then, uh, Watford have harvested the um, uh, this total of 11 points from a possible 45 in the Premier League. That's not all down to Elton's approach by any means. Um, Silver has been handicapped by uh, probably the longest injury list of any Premier League squad. He's currently got eight possible first-team players out injured for one reason or another. Um, and then suspensions have come along and hit Watford very badly as well. Um, they had a, went to a, a ghastly sequence of getting players sent off on an almost weekly basis. Uh, Troy Deeney got banned retrospectively for uh, gouging Joe Allen's cheeks after they lost at home to Stoke. Um, Martin Ziegler got sent off for a, a rash tackle away at Burnley. Uh, Deeney again got sent off at home to Huddersfield. For, again for an impetuous tackle and Watford felt aggrieved I have to say by some of those red cards not because the referees deem them red cards as such in each, in each case but because players elsewhere were getting away with worse tackles or what looked like worse tackles uh, for a lesser punishment um, but if you put those things together you want a perfect storm of also throwing as well one or two players going off the boil with Charleston who made a terrific, terrific impact uh, when he arrived at Watford um, hasn't scored for a couple of months and has looked tired as he, he's entitled to do because he played a full Brazilian season before coming straight into the Premier League uh, so it's all added up to a, a perfect storm of, perf- of, of poor results uh, and although Watford's currently at 10th in the Premier League they're actually only 5-6 points off, off the drop zones it only take 2 or 3 more defeats for them to be sucked into a relegation battle Yeah definitely I mean it, it kind of feels like Silver's time is 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 ticking. Um, given obviously Watford's reputation, for, you know, to to kind of go through a lot of managers. Uh, how long do you think Marco Silva has to to turn around Watford's uh, Watford's fortunes? Well, he's he's not in imminent danger of the sack right now. Um, as I say, they're tenth. I think if you'd offered Watford supporters and indeed Watford owner Gino Pozzo and, and Chairman Scott Duxbury tenth with fifteen games to go. Uh, they would have settled that quite gladly. I think it's the fact that they've um, their form has tailed off so badly uh, since um, the back end of October. When Watford beat Arsenal two home uh, in mid October, uh, they were fourth in the Premier League. Now that Watford were never going to finish in the top four, uh, realistically they were never going to finish in the, in, in the one of the European places or places that, that govern European football next season. What they did have their eyes on. Uh, and what they still have their eyes on is a, is a top half finish and that's still well within their remit but obviously form is against them now where um, where form and good fortune was with them um, in the, in the front, front part of the season uh, I don't think he's in imminent danger of the sack uh, but they've now got three away games including an FA Cup tie away at Southampton coming up if they were to lose all three of those I think the ice would get pretty thin um, and then it's a question of whether Pozzo decides whether he can wait until the end of the season before making a change. Already, although Silver has a two-year contract, already the perception among Watford supporters is that it's quite likely uh, that he will leave the club in the summer one way or another anyway. That's fair enough. I say Watford seems to go through see almost a manager uh, a season. Uh, you mentioned Southampton there, obviously because Watford are going to be playing them in the FA Cup. Uh, Southampton, yep. there's a lot of pressure on uh, Pellegrino there as well. Um, yeah. What's gone wrong for Southampton this season? I mean, sacking Claude Puel seemed a bit controversial at the time, and then Pellegrino doesn't seem to have kicked on at all, really, does he? Yeah. Well, it's quite simple. What's gone wrong with Southampton is that they've got um, 
portion to sort of spread it too thick. I think one or two people down there have probably got delusions of grandeur. Uh, last season, under Claude Puel, they finished eighth in the Premier League and got to the uh, League Cup final against Man United, which they were very unlucky to lose, by the way. Uh, and for whatever reason, one or two people at Southampton decided that that wasn't enough. Uh, there was talk of the football being a little bit dull and a bit sort of stale, a bit pragmatic, but eighth in the Premier League and a Wembley Cup final appearance can't be bad, can it? So they went out and they, they sacked Puel and went out and got Maurizio Pellegrino, uh, who is not going to finish eighth in the Premier League, I don't think, and he's probably not going to get them to a, to a Wembley Cup final either. Um, uh, and even worse still, the football's not improved either. I would, I would say that I saw Philanthropy's game uh, at Watford in the Premier League last weekend when they deserved a point because they were much, much better than Watford in the first half and ultimately it took a uh, rather fraudulent equaliser in the last minute from De Cruyere to deny them their first win in 10 games. I think they'll be OK, especially when Charlie Austin comes back. Um, but I also don't think they'll have an awful lot of um, breathing space to spare when, um, when the dotted line becomes the irrevocable black line between staying up and going down. Um, and, and Pellegrino is the favourite in the bookmakers' so-called sack race. He's odds on with nearly every bookmaker to be the next Premier League manager to leave his job. I find the, sack, the concept of the sack race a bit distasteful, but um, if you had, um, I think if, you, if, uh, if there was a, a, book, a book open on the next journalist to be made redundant by his national newspaper, you and I might find that rather distasteful, but um, it, it's, it, it exists in football. Uh, I mean, I suppose the reason it exists in football is there's so much money sloshing around in football and um, where there's brass, there's muck, and I'm afraid Pellegrino is currently the one at the sharp end of it. Uh, but he's currently the bookies' favourite to be the next League manager to leave his job, whether he walks or is not required to uh, and interestingly, Marco Silva is now second favourite with most bookies as well. Mike Walters there joining us on the Mirror Football Podcast, brought to you in association uh, with Ladbrooks. Um, talking the sack race, uh, Alex, um, what kind of are, are the odds? Obviously, we, we spoke a lot about Silva there, how he's kind of nearing the exit to, to Watford. Is he, is he potentially a shrewd bet? He could be. He could be at the moment. Uh, he's second favourite at the moment. He's 9-2, to two, which... Would have raised a few eyebrows maybe two or three months ago before this this link with Everton before Big Sam was uh, was announced as their manager. Kind of feels like his head's maybe been been turned a little there, and results have, have shown exactly that. He's nine to two. Uh, Pellegrino is your odds-on favourite at four to six in the sack race. Problem we've got at the moment in the Premier League in this day and age is there's not enough managers to sack in the sack race. It's con- it's. Uh, <coughs> It's crazy. Uh, so yeah, Pellegrino four to six is your odds-on favourite. Uh, other than that, we've got Benitez, Rafa Benitez six to one. Obviously, you would think if so, are, are these odds next managers to be sacked or next managers to leave? Sorry, yeah, so I must it, clarify. This is uh, we'll call it the sack race. But if a manager leaves as well, yeah. then then yeah, you would okay. be. You would well, obviously, that, so. what's happened at Newcastle, especially the latest developments in the takeover. Exactly. Uh, and which is why Antonio Conte is also so short. Uh, well relatively short I think he's around about the 20 to 1 mark at the moment but he's like 5th in the list of next Premier League manager to leave because of obviously some of the problems uh, we've seen at, we've seen at Chelsea Wenger's ahead of him at 16 to 1 yeah well I mean Arsene Wenger would be an interesting one I don't know whether I can see him leaving before the end of the season um, there is a new manager in the Premier League Paul Lambert has been appointed by Stoke he was he said he was not bothered whether he's the ninth choice or 50th choice or whatever it seems like he probably was about the 50th choice Um uh, Alex, uh, what can Stoke expect from Paul Lambert? 
It's a very good question. Uh, I don't think they're particularly enamoured with him getting the job. Um, look, he, he did a very, very good job at Norwich. Um, back-to-back promotions there, kept him in the Premier League. Having done a good job at Wickham before that, he went to Villa at a time when Villa were cost-cutting, when they were selling off players, and he was tasked basically with bringing through um, younger players from the lower leagues and younger players from abroad that could be developed and sold on. Um, he did that, but the club, they fought relegation every season, didn't they? they? They never looked like escaping the drop, and eventually he paid for it with his job. Um, they escaped the drop that season when um, Tim Sherwood kept them up, of course. Um, so what does that say about Lambert? I think Stoke needed a change. It was Things had soured under Mark Hughes. They'd gone stale. Um, I think Lambert needs to give them some sort of identity back. You know, under Tony Pulis, they were a side that, you know, you knew what you were going to get. Tony Pulis' side. Hughes tried to make them more expansive, brought in the likes of Jordan Shakiri, Hesse, who hasn't really worked out, um, Chupin Moting, who has done well in patches this season. Tried to make them more creative, more of a flair team. Um, but now they're in the heart of a relegation battle. I would expect Lambert to very much like he did win his jobs at Blackburn and Wolves in the Championship. Basically a side that's going more towards the purest way of getting up and at them, getting in teams' faces, trying to put pressure on opponents. I don't think it'll transcend itself to glorious football, but it might be effective and it might might well do the job in keeping them up. Yeah. Uh, back to the top end of the Premier League. Uh, Manchester City are no longer invincible. Um, they were beaten by Liverpool last week in one of the games of the season. Um, I'm... I'm before you start arguing, I'm not convinced it was the game of the season. I'm not getting into this again with I you. Know the, um, me and Alex are, are very much at crossroads as to what actually was the game of tell, the season. Tell them your opinion. No, I... I and I, <laughs> everybody can write into us and tell us how wrong you are. I, I personally think the game between Arsenal and Manchester United at the Emirates, the, uh, United won 3-1, uh, was just an incredible game of football. It was end-to-end, it was I mean, a bit of drama... It was non-stop. It was, for me, the game of the season. There is no debate that it was a good game of football, but it was not the game of the season in the Premier League, and it wasn't even the game of the season at the Emirates. Well, see, it, you was even quite, it was quite possibly not even in the top three at the Emirates. <laughs> Arsenal 4, Leicester 3 was a better game. Arsenal and Chelsea drawing 2 all was a better game. It wasn't. Arsenal and Liverpool drawing 3 all was a better game. It wasn't. It's the fourth best game at the Emirates this season. It's it not even the best at that stadium, let alone the Premier League. It wasn't. It wasn't. You're wrong, but we'll I leave it at that. I argue like the Arsenal Liverpool game was slightly better than the Arsenal United game from a from a neutral fans perspective. Yeah. The three all was was much more exciting than yeah. than the three one. As was the two two. As was the four three. Let, let's move on. <laughs> let's move on because it's just going to cause problems, and I'm already getting angry. <laughs> it's good. What we want to get. We want to get right. Anyway, uh, City lost to Liverpool. Um, a result that we kind of saw coming. I mean, I think I said last week on the podcast, I think City will actually just go there and win 3-0. Um, but it was never too far, it was never too much out of the question, you know, that Liverpool were, were going were gonna to win, were they? It was a great performance from them. It was, it was a fantastic performance. It was, a, it was an amazing game as well. Um, game of the season, but, but some would say. <laughs> some would say. Um, but City just looked at sixes and sevens at the back, didn't they? they um, I mean, every time Liverpool came forward, it was with three or four players and... You know, obviously the Liverpool fans were sort of screaming Coutinho who by the end. Um, 
and then they started to get worried when City got two back towards the end, didn't they? And that was yeah. just typical Liverpool. They can't they can't see out a game in in, in fashion. But um, yeah, I think I think it was from I think Manchester United fans are very happy that City lost because I think had they gone the season unbeaten, that was something they probably couldn't live down. Um, and you know, is the title race back on? No, the City still too far ahead. But at least it, you know, it makes it a little bit exciting. It will be interesting now is how City respond to that defeat. That's that's the big question, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, um, Alex. Um, do you think this could derail City's season, or do you think they've got enough quality and kind of enough about them mentally to uh, to see past one defeat? I think they've got enough about them mentally. Certainly, um, I don't think it'll derail their season. It's just one of those days. Liverpool were excellent. Um, it was interesting that Liverpool decided that they would just go at them. You know, Spurs tried it earlier in the season and, and got done 4-0 um, Liverpool kind of what Bristol City tried in the League Cup didn't sit back they actually gave it a go they went for the throat and they played on City's weaknesses which still are those centre-halves you know much has been said about how good a season John Stones and Otamendi have been having but when you put them under pressure mistakes will come and that's what happened um, Stones' positioning on the Firmino goal was terrible. He made a poor decision and then he was completely outmuscled by Firmino. A centre half should never be outmuscled by a centre forward in, in, in any game. No. And Firmino's finish was terrific. Little yeah. chip over Edison. Really, really inventive. And then for five, six minutes, they just collapsed at the back. Um, but look, it's, it's one game. They've played the same way, trying to keep the ball, trying to work the ball all season. I don't see that changing. It didn't change in the game when they were 4-1 down. It's not going to change now. They're still going to walk to the Premier League title. But maybe they've shown other teams, or rather I should say maybe Liverpool have shown other teams how to get results against City. Not just sitting back on the edge of your own penalty area, but going at them and pressuring those centre-halves. It's funny as you said that I'd really like to see Arsenal in their current state Go out and try and attack City the way Liverpool did because I think City have picked them off. I think, oh, yeah. I, I think, well, I think well, you get a completely different game. Well, that's the issue, isn't it? If you're not yeah. good enough to to do that press efficiently and do it well, they will pick you off. Yeah, fair enough. Um, in terms of the title race, uh, Alex says, uh, how did it affect the betting at all? The fact that City actually lost the game. It's actually the the second time they dropped points in a matter of weeks, which is unheard of for this season. Uh, did it affect any of the odds at all? Uh, technically, yes. City before kickoff were one to a hundred to win the Premier League. City now are one to sixty-six to win the Premier League. So technically yes, but realistically probably not. Again, um, likewise, I'm looking forward to seeing this City Newcastle game at the weekend. I'm I'm really curious to see how City respond and how they play that back back at home. Um, they probably win four nil. Yeah, yeah, but one <laughs> thing I will say here, if United fans want any kind of hope is they're currently 12 points behind same amount of games as um, as City United play first if they beat Burnley at the weekend it's 9 points and there's still a long way to go technically I'm not saying that United are going to catch them up but if United take 3 points off Burnley and a 9 points off City all of a sudden then a City thinking ok now there's pressure on this game just to re-establish ourselves because that 9 point Bridge. It hasn't been closer than nine points for for a while now. So. Yeah, I say if you go back to twenty twelve as well, say the Aguero mm-hmm. season, City turned around an eight point deficit in I think yeah. it's about three and a half. Weeks. Yeah, and and I think as well if 
if Sanchez does go to, to United, you know, that's United kind of edging that one, beat Pippin City to the post. Uh, it looked for all, like it looked like City City was signing Sanchez, and that was the end of it. But you know, it might change fortunes a little. <laughs> I don't know. I'm still expecting uh, City to run away with it. United are forty to one. Liverpool are fifties. Chelsea 66, Spurs 150, and as we said earlier, Arsenal 750 to one. Yeah, no. But let's do a 5,000 to one. Let's not forget. Yeah, no, <laughs> absolutely. Um, United, any chance at all? Because it does feel like there has been a momentum shift no. in in the past week. Still no. Still, if any, if anyone, even even though I mean, have you felt there's been a little momentum shift as well, or is, or no. is that is that just? Me? I think that's just United you? are definitely playing better. Yes. Um, there's no real momentum shift. I, I think, yeah, if City lose to Newcastle, then that that's probably more of a statement. Liverpool are a good team, okay? So losing to them, it's, it's expected you're going to lose to maybe one of the big six in the during the season. If City lose to Newcastle at home, that is a bigger message uh, to Manchester United. Um, <clears throat> but no, it's, it's just not going to happen, I don't think. Yeah, um, if City are going to go on and win it, uh, how many more points do we think we're going to drop? How, how big will the gap be at the end of the season? Do you think they'll maintain this almost like twelve-ish point gap? Will they extend it? Will it or will it be be closer? I think a lot will depend on how far they are ahead of their rivals when the Champions League kicks off again, um, and then you assume that they will get through to the quarterfinals, given that they're playing Ball. Um, so they start resting players, you know. That's all going to have an effect come the end of the season. Thing with them is they are by far the best side in the Premier League in terms of consistency and consistently doing what they do well. They are head and shoulders above the rest. Liverpool on their day are an outstanding team, and that's why I don't think you can discount Liverpool in the Champions League um, because of games like this against City. But they don't do it consistently enough, and that's why they are so far behind in the Premier League. Fair enough. Um... As far as the race for the top four is concerned, um, how? I mean, it seems at the moment that Arsenal and Tottenham are probably going to be the two to miss out. Um, Tottenham have really have a chance to get back in there. Um, will, how do you see the top the top four going? Um, will Will Tottenham sneak in? The but way, then who drops out? Well, it's, the it's, only way they sneak in is if Chelsea fall out. I think at the moment. I think Liverpool are, are, are sort of on a, a good streak. Um, they've got Van Dijk now as well, which will only further shore up their, their defence um, Manchester United again as I said a minute ago they're playing well City we think probably going to win the league um, so the only team I can see falling out is Chelsea because they're having a bit of a, well, a wobbly patch at the moment I think Tom's spot on with that you know I think if anyone is to to not finish in the top four out of, out of the five because we all assume Arsenal won't now uh, it is Chelsea um, Antonio Conte put all his eggs in the Alvaro Morata basket where goals are concerned and Maratta at the moment is going through a little bit of a crisis himself. Yeah, I think the odds suggest pretty much exactly the same as well. Uh, I mean, we're not taking bets on City finishing in the top four just because it's, it's they're, they're a shoe in. Free money for everyone. United <laughs> are one to six. Uh, Chelsea and Liverpool both share the two to nine price, but uh, in the race for the se- in betting without Manchester City, Liverpool we make Liverpool more likely than Chelsea to finish second. Which says that if anyone is going to fall out of the top four it, at this stage, it would be would be Chelsea. Uh, Spurs are even money if you fancy them to break into the top four. And Arsenal, despite what are they five or seven points off top four? I think at the moment they're five to one to 
finishing the top four at the end of the season. Um, Spurs could be an interesting little bit. Uh, uh, evens, anyway. I say I feel like they've gone through their rocky patch yeah. already. Yeah. Um, the, the Wembley thing kind of has has gone now. It seems of yeah. of that bunch. Spurs at even money. All Man United at one to six. <laughs> it looks quite good. Yeah. Uh, Premier League fixtures this weekend. Um, I said we're just going to scout through them. Uh, Brighton against Chelsea. Um, Brighton having a bit of a uh, a bit bit of a, a, t- a tough period at the moment, aren't they? Beaten by West Brom last weekend. Um, goals of their problem. Very well organised team. Got a couple of good creative players. Um, Anthony Knockart particularly. Um, they lack a, a, a goal scorer. They lack a top-level goal scorer. They, they've got enough about them to stay up, but they are going through a difficult patch. You talk about the Brighton-Chelsea game. If they're struggling for a goal scorer, Chelsea have just kept six clean sheets in their last seven games in all competitions. They might not be winning at the moment, but they're not conceding. They're not struggling defensively, so it yeah. could be a low-scoring game. Though. Absolutely. Um, 3 p.m. games. I say there's, there's quite a few, quite a few of the bigger name teams involved. Uh, Arsenal take on Crystal Palace. That's a tough one. Um, it's a very very tough game for Arsenal now. Yeah. Palace are a little bit of a resurgence behind them now. Roy Hodgson team always good defensively and uh, Bakary Sacco has started playing up front and scoring goals for Palace. Yeah, absolutely. Just what they needed because Ben Teke isn't really doing too much. Uh, not really sure what, what has happened with him this season. Yeah, no, he's uh, gone from being a talent to almost an anomaly. Uh, Burnley against Manchester United. Uh, we've touched on that fixture Kind of earlier on, kind of what it could mean because Manchester City don't play until five thirty PM on the Saturday. But they Burnley could do Man United a favour, uh, Man City a favour there. Really, Burnley aside from your top five, even throwing Arsenal into the mix here, Burnley may be your standout team of the season yeah. at home against United. There could be some value in them not to lose that game. Yeah, absolutely, uh, Everton against West Brom, uh, Leicester against Watford, Stoke against Huddersfield, and West Ham against Bournemouth are the rest of your Saturday fixtures all at three PM. Sunday, just the one game, uh, Southampton against Tottenham Hotspur, and we're back on Monday with Swansea against Liverpool. Um, is there a potential upset for kind of any of the, the, the big teams uh, across those fixtures? Um, the, will Liverpool almost maybe go into a game against Swansea a little complacent? At least remember, this is a new Swansea as well, who obviously have Carlos Carvajal as manager looking to turn the tables. Is that potentially a little tricky fixture for Liverpool? It could be, but... Swansea have been so poor this season and that Liverpool attack just cuts through teams um, you've got to think Liverpool go there and win comfortably as I said I think if, if you're looking at one of the so-called big six not to win I, I do like Palace at Arsenal but Burnley tough place to go don't concede goals you know you can very easily see Burnley United being a nil-nil a 1-1 I, th- I think with Liverpool, these, this is the kind of game Liverpool go and beat the likes of Man City or the likes of Tottenham, Arsenal, whatever. This is the kind of game they're going to drop points in. Over the last few years, that that's generally what they've done. They've struggled against bottom half teams. So if they can clean that kind of if that part of their game up, then yeah, they look good. Yep. Yeah. Um, before we go on the Mirror Football podcast this week, uh, as always, we want to talk a little bit about the Championship. Um, Wolves, nothing's changed. Still running away with it at the top. Uh, Derby County, uh, I believe, are the the team most likely to join them in the Premier League next season. Am, am I right, Alex? Yeah, that's right. So Wolves at the moment are one to sixteen just to win the league. They're ten points clear at the top of the league, so they're one to a hundred to be promoted. But um, 
as for everyone else in the in the championship at the moment, Derby are the only other side odds on to be promoted. They're ten to eleven. Sixteen to one says they can somehow overturn that ten point deficit and, and finish top of the table. Behind Derby you've got Cardiff and Villa both at two to one. Bristol City five to two shots. Other than that, than that you're looking Borough nine to two, Fulham eleven to two, but I mean what do you guys think aside from Wolves? Obvi- oh, surely Wolves are, are there, right? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll let Shul tell us, are Wolves there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've, you know, a, a lot of the thing has been that around Wolves fans that oh, don't don't go being too happy too soon, given that they had an incident in 2001, 2002, where they were 12 points ahead of West Brom and completely collapsed and Albion beat them to promotion. Um, but it's a completely different area, completely different team, and they are streets ahead of the rest of the championship right now. Yeah. Um, if it was me, personally... Putting money on a side to take second. I don't like Derby at odds on. Um, they drew Sheffield United recently at home and they weren't really that clinical in front of goal. They've got Matej Vidra doing very well and scoring a lot of goals, but they do miss chances. Their defence is exceptional, that's what's carrying them. Aston Villa are coming up strong. A few blips in recent months, but defensively they've got it sorted. Scott Hogan's now scoring goals for them. Um, I think Villa are in for a strong second half of the season. It's between those two for me. And I think I think Derby, just a quick word on them, has kind of strike me as one of those teams where if they do go up, certainly automatically, I fear for them in the Premier League. I don't think that I don't think they're set up for the Premier League yet. Villa probably a little more. I think with Derby as well that they've been in this position a number of times in recent seasons and collapsed mm-hmm. and collapsed badly at times. You know they've been they've been top of the table and finished eighth from like March onwards um, I think that was under Stephen McLaren so there's that at the back of your mind and it'll be at the back of some of those players minds as well yeah absolutely uh, Middlesbrough obviously 92 we mentioned there Tony Pulis is manager there now where have you got any any faith in Borough turning, turning it around I backed Borough at the start of the season to be promoted and then was really miserable around November December time when Gary Monk was still in charge because it just wasn't happening um, they lost a Fulham uh, 1-0 and it was a 90-second minute penalty from Oliver Norwood. Um, before then, Borough missed an absolute hatful of chances. So many chances. Um, Tony Pulis is now in charge. Rudy Gestead's playing up front with Britta Sombolonga. Um, so they're going a bit more direct. I think they'll get in the playoffs. But I think that's that's as far as they can go. I, I worry what happens to Middlesbrough if they don't go up this season I think if they go up this season under Pulis I think he keeps them up next season in the Premier League if they don't go up this season I don't know what happens at Borough I don't think I think they sell, they sell a number of players don't they uh-huh. I think, I think they, they lose a lot of players and they find themselves mid-table for a couple of years unless I, I, I mean I, I get the feeling with Middlesbrough that they expected to stay up last year they didn't think they'd be up and straight back down I think they thought they had enough about them to um, to stay up, goals were a ma- major problem, weren't they? I think that that was when they were promoted. It was for winning a lot of games one nil. Um, mm. They were built around defence. Their defence was still really good last year. Um, it, it was a decent Premier League defence, but they just couldn't get goals. And yeah. again, this season, that's kind of been the problem. And the defence hasn't looked as certain. So, you know, that's why they are where they are. 
Fair enough. Um, cool. That will do us this week on the Mirror Football Podcast. Brought to you in association, as always, uh, with Ladbrokes. Guys, thank you very much for, for being with us. Uh, thank you very much to everybody who's listened uh, to this week's podcast. Uh, make sure you do subscribe to us. We're available on iTunes, Spotify and Audio Boom. And if you could give us a nice five-star rating, that would always be very, very much appreciated. Uh, we will be back next Thursday uh, with the next edition, uh, looking ahead to kind of the end of the transfer window and also um, kind of all the Premier League action surrounding it. Um, so until then, um, it's a goodbye from us.